almost six years ago, I think uh, another week or so, exactly six years ago, John Tumpain, maybe not a household name, but you maybe have seen him. He's a Major League Baseball umpire. He was walking across the Robert Clemente or Roberto Clemente Bridge in Pittsburgh near PNC Park, which is where the Pirates play. And he was there to do a series uh, between the Pirates and some other team. And he had gone for an early morning run. He was going to grab a quick bite to eat. And there weren't many people around, but he watched this woman climb over the railing on the bridge over the Allegheny River. Again, there weren't many people around at this time, so it wasn't in the morning, it was, was mid-afternoon. And as he sees her, he's unsure at first of, of what's happening, and then he realizes that she intends to jump. So he, as he gets near her, he grab a, grabbed a hold of her and asked her what she was doing. And her response was, I just wanted to get a better look of the city from this side. He said, oh, no, you don't want to do that. It's just as good over here. Let's go grab some lunch and talk. No, no, no. I'm better off on this side. Just The Lord remembers his covenant people. The Lord remembers us in our distress. He remembers us in our despair. And he remembers us in our defeat. The Lord remembers his covenant people. So let's start with distress. This psalm is considered both an individual lament. It's by David. He's lamenting his circumstances. It's also considered one of the penitential psalms. Though there's not a specific confession of sin, it's more 
general. Other penitential psalms that you may be familiar with are Psalm 32 or 51 or 130. But in any, any case, sin is in view and there's lament and repentance at this time. This is an ex- a perennial experience. So for this point on the distress that the Lord remembers, I want to talk about the cause of it briefly and the experience and answer for distress. And then we'll do experience and answer for each of the next point, two points as well. So the cause is unclear. From the beginning, though, David's aware of his sin. O Lord, rebuke me not in your anger, nor discipline me in your wrath. He jumps right into his request, his petition. He doesn't wait around. He gets right to the point of where he is, of where his distress lies. There are consequences for our sin. Which we are sometimes mercifully spared from. And at other times, the Lord brings to bear to teach us to return to him, to seek his grace, to follow him. There's also the experience of this distress. Verse 2, be gracious to me, O Lord, for I am languishing. Heal me, O Lord, for my bones are troubled. He's amplifying the petition of asking for grace, forgiveness, and healing Within his whole person, body and soul, the language gives you a whole picture. It's not just what he feels internally, but what he experiences outwardly. I am languishing, for my bones are troubled. He feels it to the very core of who he's being, who he is, and what he's experiencing. It's the whole person, body and soul. And then we do hear in verse 3, my soul also... Is greatly troubled, but you, O Lord, how long? You may recall we spoke of that question, how long, when we listened to Psalm 13 a few weeks ago. Oftentimes we start with the whys, but then we will gradually move to the how long will I endure this trial? How long will I endure these consequences for my sin? How long? Before I see God's merciful hand upon me. That's the experience of his distress. What's the answer for it? Well, first let me give you something that the Reverend Archibald Simpson said a long time ago. He was ministering in the 16th and 17th century. And he wrote, in our affliction we must look to God and not to secondary causes. To go to God for help in our distresses. When then we are wounded, we must go to the one who can cure us. Even him who hath heaved us up and cast us down again and will raise us up again. Prayer is our wings to fly to God in our affliction. I love that. Prayer is our wings to fly to God in our affliction. And we do that because we learn and know the character of God. And if we're in relationship to him, 
that He will remember us as His covenant people. He has made promises to us. And certainly our troubles can be caused by our sin, and sometimes our troubles can reveal our sin. And ultimately, the answer for our distress is Jesus Christ. He is the one to whom has come into our world and has borne in his body our sins, and he has experienced everything that we could possibly experience. And yet he does so without sin, so that he can bear our sin. He's the ultimate answer for our distress when we see the mistakes that we've made and the consequences that follow. On Wednesday night, we had a chance to go to a a concert. It was more of a hymn sing than a concert, but a little bit of both. And a a song that we sang, excuse me, a hymn, Come Ye Souls by Sin Afflicted by Joseph Swain. And he wrote in that hymn, Bowed with fruitless sorrow down, by the broken law convicted, through the cross behold the crown. Look to Jesus, look to Jesus, look to Jesus. Mercy flows through him alone. And so the Lord meets us in our distress. He remembers us even when we are in distress, and he leads us to his son. Not only does he remember that, he also remembers his covenant people when they are in despair. And again, I want to talk about the experience of that and the answer to that. The experience of David's despair is seen first. We see this in verse 4. This kind of demanding desperation. Turn, O Lord. Again, that capital letters, that's Yahweh. That's the covenant name of God. So, O Lord, Yahweh, deliver my life. Save me for the sake of your steadfast love. There's the concept of the covenant again. Because God loves us in such a way that when he makes a promise, he will keep that promise. I'll keep saying it to you because it needs to work into our hearts, our souls, our minds. That God keeps his promises to us and his love is certain. David is crying out for the Lord to intervene in his life. And the fact that he says, turn, there at the beginning of verse 4, seems to indicate that David feels some sense of abandonment. Have you ever felt that way? I'm not saying that it's true, but if you ever in the, excuse me, in the darkness of difficulty, wondering, God, are you there? In the dark, have you wondered where the light is? Or even in the light, have you merely felt the darkness? That's what despair can feel like. And David's crying out of this sense of maybe the Lord has abandoned him. So he asks for the Lord to turn to him, not on the basis of who David is, but on the basis of who God is. Save me, not because I'm going to be the best pastor, the best Sunday school teacher, the best worker out there. I'm not going to be, not because I'm going to be those things for you, Lord, not because I'm going to try harder, do better next time. Save 
me for the sake of your steadfast love. That's why David cries out in verse 4. He feels this despair. He needs the Lord to respond to it. And now there's a bit of a rationale, an argument that he's making, forming in verse 5. For in death, there is no remembrance of you. In Sheol, who will give you praise? This is sort of the concept of life after death, but not eternity, not heaven like we think of. But the the place of the dead, uh, sometimes Sheol has a, a couple different meanings, but it's still this concept that, David's thinking, when I die, I'm not going to be able to praise you in this world. I'm not going to be able to proclaim who you are. So, Lord, save me because I desire to worship you. I long to worship you. He sees that as his purpose. This English uh, uh, study Bible for the ESV, the idea is that the dead do not have the privilege of recounting God's praise in public worship. The verse expresses the fear that the psalmist's sins, if not forgiven, would separate him from God's presence. And then his experience of despair, David's experience of despair is still there in verses 6 and 7. I'm weary with my moaning. Every night I flood my bed with tears. I drench my couch with my weeping. My eyes waste away because of grief. It grows weak because of all my foes. You've probably had that experience where the the tears just don't stop and your eyes get red. And maybe they stop for a time, but then you cry some more. You weep because that's all you have. And that's all you feel you are in that moment. What is the promise for that? What is the answer for that kind of despair when the Tracks of our tears, thank you, Smokey, are all over our face. What's the answer? Well, first, there is the promise of the Lord. David's already hinted at it. The steadfast love, the unfailing love, the hesed of God. We stake our whole being on who God has revealed himself to be. You and I have nothing else. We stake our whole Being on the promises that he has made to his people. And so we cling to those promises. We remind one another of those promises. We preach and pray and sing those promises. And then we recognize that the Lord hears us when what we only have is our tears. Sometimes we don't even have the words to pray. Or to speak. I do like to remind people that help is a complete prayer when it is directed to our Lord. Sometimes that's all you have, and sometimes you don't even have that. All you have is your tears. And yet, the Lord remembers us still. And this has stayed with me for years from Charles Spurgeon. He says it is sweet to know that our tears are understood, even when words fail. Let us learn to think of tears as liquid prayers. I love that concept, liquid prayers, because there have been days and nights 
that that's the only kind of prayer that I have. He goes on to say, and of weeping as a constant dropping of uh, importunate intercession, which will surely wear its way right into the very heart of God's mercy, despite the stony difficulties which obstruct the way. My God, I will weep when I cannot plead, for you hear the voice of my weeping. And so that's the answer for our despair, that the Lord remembers us in that place. He knows what we are experiencing. He meets us there. Finally, the Lord doesn't just remember us in our distress or in our despair. He also remembers us in our defeat. And the follower of the Lord will experience many different battles on different fronts. There will be sin, yours, and others. There's Satan and the work of evil that tries to bring us down and lead us astray and tell us lies about who God is and about his keeping of his promises. And then there's the world that rejects the Lord all around us. And so we feel moments of defeat. We have moments of defeat, and David did as well. And the tone shifts at this point. Let's talk about the experience of his defeat. We must not forget that the Lord fights for his own. He fights and is victorious over the enemies of our souls, but we still experience bouts of defeat because of our sin. We also face the enemy of the evil one, Satan, who prowls like a lion, as First Peter says. And some of us might look like easy prey from time to time. Let's be honest. And David also knew those who actively sought his downfall. Enemies from within and enemies from without. That's what we experience. That's what David experienced. And surely there were times in his life when it looked like he was defeated. When he's on the run from Saul, hiding and harried and uncertain. But there is an answer, and the answer is found in the Lord. And David prays, depart from me, all you workers of evil, from the Lord has heard the sound of my weeping. You hear that? He says before, that's all I've got. And now he says, the Lord has heard the sound of my weeping. Any who would seek to take advantage of the Lord's discipline and chastening of his people are to be cast out of view. Out of David's view, out of our view, the Lord hears, responds, cares for the humble and the contrite. Isaiah 57, 15, For thus says the one who is high and lifted up, who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy, I dwell in the high and holy place, and also with him who is of a contrite and lowly spirit, to revive the spirit of the lowly, And to revive the heart of the contrite. Answer comes also in ultimate vindication. There's this reversal in verse 5. Verse 9 is a proclamation the Lord again has heard. 
There's that answer. He, he responds to it. The Lord accepts David's prayer. And now this reversal, verse 10. All my enemies shall be ashamed and greatly troubled. They shall turn back and be put to shame in a moment. The Lord remembers his covenant and his covenant people. Sin has no final victory in the believer's life. Satan's power is loosened. And not even death can defeat us. And so we need to remember that the Lord is with us and for us. And even when it looks like defeat, it is not. For those who are the Lord's and belong to him by faith. We can be thankful for Franny Crosby. We sang also on Wednesday night one of her hymns. She wrote over 8,000. We have a few in our hymnal, quite a few, several, in fact. I believe Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing is written by Fran, Franny Crosby, one of my favorites. She was blinded at just six weeks old by an incompetent doctor. And yet, she still managed to write over 8,000 hymns and many other poems and other writings she taught. She was probably, by the time of her death in the early 20th century, one of the most well-known women in our country. And she said this, It seemed intended by the blessed providence of God that I should be blind all my life. And I thank Him for the dispensation. You hear that? What would look like defeat to the world, she says, I thank God for that. If perfect earthly sight were offered me tomorrow, I would not accept it. I might not have sung hymns to the praise of God if I'd been distracted by the beautiful and interesting things about me. And so we sang, O oh, heart bereaved and lonely, which is a very honest hymn. Then the second stanza, I oh, cling to thy Redeemer, thy Savior, brother, friend. Believe and trust his promise to keep you till the end. Oh, watch and wait with patience and question all you will. His arms of love and mercy are round about thee still. One man helped to grab that woman's arms. Another one pinned her ankles against the bottom rail. Eventually a police boat arrived, then a helicopter, an ambulance, a fire truck, and a police officer. They put a life preserver on the woman and handcuffed her wrist to the bridge. Eventually she was lifted back over the railing and was laid on a mat and paramedics readied the ambulance before she was whisked away. Champagne knelt next to her, seeking to comfort her. He asked for her first name and she gave it. And he prayed for her. I told her, he said, I didn't forget her, and we'd be here, and she's better off on this side than the other side. And he recalled, I just want her to know that. He indicated that he intended to try to get in touch with this young woman before he left town. I don't know if he was able to. The stories are incomplete in that way, but it's a beautiful picture of rescue and remembrance 
and how much better does the believer have it even riddled by our own distress and despair and seeming defeat because the Lord will not, will not forget you. He clings to us and his son grabs a hold of us and does not let go. That is the promise of the word of God. Believe it and be comforted today. Join me in prayer. Father, we are so undeserving of your mercy, of your forgiveness, of your grace. Not only do we not merit any of your goodness, it is demerited. And yet, for the sake of your glory, And our good, you rescue and redeem us. And when you've done that, then Lord, we will not be forgotten for you. Not a hair can fall from our head unless it is according to your will. Satan can't grasp us from your hand. And Father, though we may feel days of darkness, nights of trouble, despair and defeat and distress, you remember us still. Praise be to you, our God and King. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.